a dynamic and expressive bassoonist, Benjamin Coelho, born in Brazil, is a sought-after musician, teacher and recording artist performing in many countries on five continents. Currently, he is the principal bassoon with the Quad City Symphony Orchestra and is a member of the Walksman Reed Trio. He has been professor of bassoon at the University of Iowa since 1998. Benjamin started his musical studies at the Tatui Conservatory of Music in Brazil. He came to the USA to study at Purchase College, where he received his BFA. He received his Master of Music degree from Manhattan School of Music and did additional graduate work at Indiana University. Benjamin has commissioned, performed and recorded many works by Latin American, American and European composers and has released seven critically acclaimed CDs garnering praise from national and international publications. Benjamin finds great joy and fulfillment as a teacher and pedagogue. During the pandemic, he gave over 30 masterclasses and lives for students in the United States and Latin America. He has been honoured to be on faculty at the Festival de Musica de Santa Catarina, Brazil, and has taught at bassoon festivals worldwide. Benjamin has dedicated himself to service. At the University of Iowa, he has served in four different associate director positions, and his greatest honour was becoming the interim director of the School of Music during the 2018-2019 term. He is currently serving a three-year term as the Vice President of the International Double Read Society. Benjamin lives in Iowa City, Iowa with his beloved wife, Karen, and their wonderful daughters, Liliana and Julia. Welcome back to Legends of Read. I'm your host, Joanne Sukumaran. I'm a bassoonist based in Singapore. Before we get to that interview, here's a message from our sponsor. Legends of Read is sponsored by Barton Kane. Barton Cane is your stock for quality double-read cane. Their cane is processed with precision equipment completely designed by them. Your days of saying no to happy hours are over. Use coupon code LEGENDSOFREED, all one word, for free shipping on any order. Take back your life with Barton Cane. So good morning and welcome back to another episode of Legends of Read. This morning, I'm very honoured to have with me Benjamin Coelho. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Joanne. It's a great pleasure to be here with you and all of the people that listen to your podcast. Okay, it's wonderful to see you again, even though it's still virtually. Uh, could you just walk us through how you started your musical journey and how you started playing the bassoon? Sure, yeah. My, I come from a musical family in Brazil uh, where my father, was actually a director of a music conservatory in, in my hometown named Tatuí in the state of São Paulo, Brazil. And I started music with musicalization classes at age eight at the conservatory. And, and I started then for two years, I played the, the recorder. Basically, the conservatory... A lot of the students, the majority of the students starts on the recorder for a couple of years, especially if you want to be a wind player and because it helps you with the breathing and it's easy to carry around as a kid. And I was very fortunate that my recorder teacher 
was the flute professor. That his name was João Dias Carrasqueira. He is a very famous flute professor in Brazil. That he would come every week to the conservatory to teach lessons, to flute lessons. But he also taught recorder to 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 many kids. And I was very fortunate that I studied with him because he is one of the most uh, creative, ludic musicians I ever met in my life. Where you know he he had such an easy to to compose music and compose special songs for you to go play for your mother and so he was very inspiring to all, all the students and but when i was 10 years old it was time for me to choose another instrument and i wanted to play the guitar because i'm i am believe it or not i'm uh a little bit shy. I'm a shy person, and I was very, very shy as, as a young kid. That I was always, even family gatherings, I was the quiet one, observing. I was, uh, I was always observing the dynamics of the family. And my grandfather even called me the philosopher, because I'll be the one kind of sitting on the side, just observing everything. And so the guitar it had this this thing for me of being alone with the instrument and that you could embrace the instrument and hold the instrument like, like you're holding, hugging somebody. And to me, that uh, it, I felt very attracted to that. But as I said earlier, my father was the director of the conservatory and my older brothers uh, were playing the oboe and the flute and they, they said, no, 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 you're not going to play guitar. Guitar, you always by yourself. You need to play an orchestra instrument or a band instrument and play strings or, or anything like that. And then I was like, not sure what to learn. Uh, but I had two cousins at the conservatory that played the bassoon. So I, I wanted to play the bassoon. And so I, I chose the bassoon. But there's a little more story here because the, uh, the, the bassoon teacher at the conservatory was a bassoonist from the municipal theater in the city of Sao Paulo, a big, big city. And he would come once a week to the conservatory, but he was from Austria, I believe. And, and he was, when I showed up for my first lesson, he was saying, no, 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 you can't play the bassoon. You're only 10 years old. You're too small. You have to be 14 years old to play the bassoon. And then I, I was very upset. Then I went home. I was, was upset. And I was even crying because I wanted to play the bassoon because I want to play the same instrument as my cousins played. And, and then my father came home after work, and I told him that I couldn't play the bassoon. And he said, don't worry, don't worry, go back next week that I'll talk to the teacher. Maybe because of the influence that he was the director of the conservatory, he talked to the teacher, and the teacher agreed that I start playing the bassoon under one condition, that I would have to come to the other students' lessons and observe. So for me, that was a very comfortable thing because I, was, I always liked observing. And he wanted to know that if I was really interested it was, or I was just being very immature in wanting to play the bassoon. So for about three, four, five months, I only went to the lessons but never played the bassoon in a lesson. But I, as I had my cousins, 
I would go to the conservatory and they would give me their, their bassoon to, to practice and to play a few notes. You know, I was very short and the bassoon was actually taller than, than myself. And I did have trouble holding, you know, reaching the, the, the keys down on the boot joint. And of course, in, in the low register, the bassoon as well. But I was persistent and, 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 and then after a few months, he said, okay, now you can have lessons. But then this professor, uh, he, he left the conservatory. He, his schedule changed in his work. And so he couldn't come anymore. So then I got another teacher that came also from Sao Paulo, but he played bassoon in the military band in Sao Paulo. And his name was Clovis Franco. And he really is uh, my, which, who I consider to be my very first bassoon teacher was Clovis because he is, he is, was a person that uh, embraced me with a lot of, with a word we say in, in Portuguese, carinho, with a lot of love and gave me a lot of attention, even though I had the difficulties because of my size and stuff. So I, I, I consider him to be my very first teacher. Mm. And then when the years went by and my brothers were studying in New York, and it was time for me. I was just about to finish high school, and 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 say no. Now it's time for you to come to the United States. You know, my father, as really as a visionary person, he wanted a, a lot of the students from the conservatory to go out of the country to get an education, and then come back to Brazil and start teaching there because in Brazil. During the 70s and the 80s, we didn't really have music at university. A university was more like for the, for the musicologists, composers, not for instrumentalists so much. So the conservatory, of course, it was a, what we call you know, the you know, secondary level. You know, until you really stay there until you're 18 years old, and 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 then you, you move on. And a lot of my of my friends already became professionals after the conservatory. And I knew that if I stayed in Brazil, I could become a professional in playing an orchestra pretty much right after finishing the conservatory. But my father, as I said, is a visionary that said, no, no, these students needs to go out to learn more, to bring more, more uh, different kind of schools to back to Brazil and start teaching so we can improve the level of musicians in Brazil. Mm -hmm. And so I was one of these, you know, his kids, all my brothers, who all came here to study music, but I had several other uh, friends and students that went outside of the country to, to learn and and the majority of them came back went back to brazil which i did as well i came i did my undergraduate and i did my masters and then i went back to brazil and i worked there for seven years before returning to the united states mm -hmm. so that's my kind of my journey out of brazil and i went to school at uh, uh, state university of new york at purchase uh, my teacher there was Donald McCourt, and he, he was the principal bassoonist of New York City Opera and the bassoonist with the New York Wooden Quintet. 
And then my master's, I went to Manhattan School of Music and I studied with the legendary Arthur Weisberg. And that, that was a very interesting time studying with Mr. Weisberg because if people that know Mr. Weisberg know he is a very serious man and an unbelievable legend on the bassoon as a composer, as a writer. But it was a different kind of experience for me in terms of the relationship. You know, I was went from my hometown, small hometown in Brazil, to SUNY Purchase, which is had a very small campus, very safe campus, upstate New York. And then I went to New- Manhattan School of Music, where it's like I went to the Big Apple, and being in the Big Apple was uh, was a little bit overwhelming for me because of the the size and the how people people behaved and how people are so busy doing their own things. I felt like I was out of place there. And then I studied with Art Weisberg, who was a very reserved man. So it was a little bit of a challenge, although I learned a, a lot, a lot from him. And then after my master's, I went back to Brazil and I worked in a couple orchestras. And, and then I ended up becoming a teacher at the Federal University of Minas Gerais, in Belo Horizonte, and that's where I worked for seven years. Uh, and, and then I came back to, to this country to do to. So that's up to, to that point now in my life when I came back here. Because then I was married to, to my love from college, and she's an American uh, flute player from New York. And when we decided to get married, it was decided that I would move back to the United States. And that's why I came back. Yeah. So, so it was really interesting, right? So leaving, coming back, and then moving again, eventually back to the U.S. And then you, you went to study with Kim Walker, right, for your, your doctor? For my, for my doctor, yes. I went to Indiana University. Although I did not finish my doctor because I won the position, teaching position at the University of Iowa. So I, I hadn't finished my doctor and, and then, as the French say, c'est la vie, you know, uh, life. I, I became successful here at Iowa, so I, I, I did not finish my doctor at Indiana. Uh, although if I could criticize a little bit Indiana University, they, they first told me I could take my last classes at Iowa and transfer the credits there. But then some people made it very difficult. And then I said, you know what? I'm, I'm okay not finishing my doctor, which I, I think is too bad, but, but that's life. I see, I see. So, but you actually had a very good uh, position, right? When you were in Brazil and then you left again. Yeah. That's right. I was teaching yeah, at yeah, an yeah, university yeah. in Brazil. Yeah. I was being very successful as a teacher there. Uh, all my students got jobs in Brazil. Uh, you know, I was very, very happy. And, and there's still some of them are my best friends. You know, Francisco Formiga is a bassoonist in the Sao Paulo Orchestra. And he was my student there in Brazil. And to this day, he's one of my best friends. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I know that the Brazilian school uh, of bassoon is really very strong, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very strong. As I said, a lot, a lot of young people were, were going outside of the country to, to study, and most of them went to, to Europe. 
uh, and there's uh, several there in Sao Paulo. There are phenomenal players like Fabio Curi and, and Alexandre Silverio, yeah, yeah. who also plays in Sao Paulo Orchestra. You know, they are very, they're fantastic players. You know, they're virtuoso bassoon players. Yeah, yeah. I saw Fabio playing the Mignone in, I think, Birmingham, and it just blew my socks off, and I wanted to study yeah. Mignone after that. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, fan he's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, looking, I mean, you have a very broad experience, both playing and teaching. Uh, so what do you think are the main differences between, for example, like the Brazilian school and the American school of playing? Are there any differences? Or? Well, I, I think there are differences. But nowadays, I think with the Internet and how everything is going, is things are changing and everything is becoming kind of similar, which is, I think, is too bad. That is, we don't have that big difference between the, the different schools around the world, you know, uh, the bassoon sound, I think, you know, there's many different types of sound, but I think more or less is kind of becoming more generic kind of sound where there are beautiful sounds and I'm, I'm including my sound in, in that same vein. But in Brazil, there was, especially when I was younger and growing up in Brazil, there was always a big fascination with the German bassoon school. You know, and, and that's when I was growing up in the 70s was the main, the main desire for Brazilians to, to, to learn that. But also in Brazil, we had an incredible French bassoon school, you know, with Noel Devaux, mainly with Noel Devaux in Rio de Janeiro. But we had phenomenal French bassoon players in Brazil that had many, many very successful French bassoons uh, in, in, all over the country. You know, but Brazil also went to that you know, stage where the French bassoon was not a favorite instrument anymore, and, the, and most people switched to the German bassoon, German style bassoon. And but the you know, like you mentioned, the Mignone Walses, you know, they were written for Noel DeVoe, who I very lucky to have studied with him for two years when I played in, in Rio de Janeiro Orchestra, in the Teatro Municipal in, in Rio. I was able to take lessons with him for two years. Uh, he taught at university there, so I did the, my extension courses with him, where I learned the Mignone waltzes. I learned from the vault. Uh, I was because when the waltzes were written, I was living in the United States, so I never became familiar with the waltzes until much later. Actually, I was in a in a music festival in Sarasota, and the the legendary bassoonist Saul Schoenbach is the one that, that showed me the first book of the Mignone Walses I ever seen it. And he wanted me to translate the titles of the Walses for him. And uh, that was my first contact with Mignone Walses was through Saul Schoenbach, who was a lover of Brazilian music and Mignone. You know. So uh, I studied with Manuel de Vos as a French bassoon player. He was amazing, one of the most beautiful musicians one could I, I ever met. I'm not talking about the bassoonists, I'm talking about the, the, the geniality, how genius his mu musical mind is. Uh, 
and and I learned so much from him. You know, I learned how to play Mignoni, learned to play Brazilian music from a French bassoonist, which is I think we all did in Brazil. Learn from Noel de Vos in how to play Mignoni. Wow. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it, it correct me if I'm wrong if I say it wrong, it's the saudade, you know, or the uh, saudade means like yeah. longing, missing. Yeah. Yes. Is this a, a common uh, theme, right? Of the Yeah, saudade is a word that you know it's not a you're not saudade having saudades doesn't mean you're sad. It actually means you're happy. You just miss it, but you think about the, the those people or the places you love in a positive way. You know, you want to go back, but you're not like, oh, this is so 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 sad. The word saudade doesn't really mean sad. It means like you you're thinking about it. Ah, like a nostalgia, reminiscence. Or like this. Exactly. It's reminiscence, nostalgic. You're exactly right. Yeah. Ah, right. Oh, cool. Okay. I thought it was quite sad also. No, no. It's like long. No, no, no. It, of course, it can be sad because if you have so much saudade about something, yeah. that might become a sad thing. I see. Like, for example, I have saudades of my Brazilian friends because... The you know the Brazilian sense of humor and of course I'm Brazilian is different than Americans or Europeans yeah. so I have saudades of that that kind of relationships. I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I really like uh, meeting Brazilian people because I think my um, my surfing teacher is actually Brazilian. Ah, so yeah, nice. And met, yeah, and I met him in in Bali, but with the Brazilian people. And the Brazilian music always felt at home. Yeah, it's kind of uh -huh. very, nice. very comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. But but you know, but the, the the Brazilian school of bassoon is is right now it's more modeled towards the German, the the dark sound. You know, that was the dark sound, and I think Brazilians are fascinating with fascinated by the sound. You know, and and I think sometimes, you know, I always rem remind my 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 friends or students when I visit with usually Latin American musicians are very much the sound is their main goal to get a beautiful sound, and I don't disagree with that. But there are some other elements that we need to be very careful that we don't pay as much attention as the sound, like for example, response and intonation. I think I think sound is, uh, of course, a very important. And as a Brazilian, sound is very, very important to me. But we have to always re remember that there are other musical elements. That sound is is basically a preference. You know, when you sorry, say again. Uh, it's a preference. It's a taste. Mm -hmm. You know, as I said, the Noel de Vos played the French bassoon. Which I, I never wanted to play the French bassoon or have that French bassoon sound. But the way I heard him play, you know, after two seconds of that first, oh, this is a French bassoon, you forget that it is a French bassoon because your ear goes towards the music and how beautiful the musical phrase is and, and the whole, what is the message that you're portraying is not just the sound. You know, you can. Uh, it just came to my mind, and you can look at a beautiful car. 
Okay, that, you want to have that beautiful car, but actually you need to get to that Ferrari and know how to drive it. So you need to, to, to have the beautiful car, but you also need to know where you're going. Just, just having a beautiful car is not the, the only thing one needs to think about. Ah, so, so you say that some people get uh, a little bit trapped in the concept of sound. Is it too much? Correct, yes. Oh, okay, okay, I, 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 see, I see. I think that is true. Uh, especially 30 years ago, 40 years ago was more so. I think now that people are hearing many different kinds of players uh, from all over the world, and I think people are much because it's so easy to put on YouTube. You can find all the great bassoonists playing, and and everybody has a little bit of a different sound. And and but the most important thing then becomes the music. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you were talking about like focusing on the uh, the other elements, and I know that you have a practicing. Um, method right could you speak a little bit about that uh, what's inside what should sure. we be careful of yeah yeah like i have this thing called pratica quotidiana it's it's not i don't i don't know if it's a method it's not edited i just wrote that for my students and but it started out mostly with like a pratica quotidiana means daily practice so the beginning of it is more talk about the parts that one should study, you know, like you should play your scales and how much you should do scales and long tones, like the fundamentals, and then how much time you should spend on, on, on musical literature and, and things like that and how to take breaks to, to, to hydrate yourself. It's more about practicing the, 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 the method. But then I, I, I put together uh, a 12-week program uh, thinking about the school semester here where uh, we, you know, I, the, the whole idea that, you know, we're talking a lot about, you know, uh, very important in the United States. And I think in the, around the world, there's a lot that's been talking about diversity equity, inclusion. And one thing that I have talked to some of my colleagues here at at the University of Iowa, that when we're talking about these kind of things, the first thing that comes to mind are the people, right? That, That we have people of different backgrounds, that we have people from different backgrounds having the same kind of opportunities. So in general, we're talking about people. But one thing that as a music, we also need to be very, very aware about diversity of sound. Mm. Uh, sound, I mean, not this bassoon sound, but different of styles. You know, we it's okay for bassoonists. I think it's encouraged. I think it's amazing that bassoonists can play play uh, play uh, jazz. We can play rock and roll. We can play, you know samba you know all of that i think that's also important that we branched out that we don't only play music that has similar sounds you know i uh, of course we have the great classical composers and 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 of course they're unique and they why they're great 300 years later because they're good but there's a lot of really great musicians that are not classical musicians that are going to stay around for 300 years because they're great 
musicians and great music that they wrote. But we, I find that it's time for us to branch out to different styles and different sounds, diversity of musical sounds. I think so. The, my practical quotidiana, I, I use a lot of the blue scales in, in there and like the, the, the Dorian mode. You know, we kind of lost, lost that sense of the modal sounds. We use it, we're so, we classical musicians are so trained into the tonal music and we play our major and minor scales and we do that for hours every day. And, but that's very, I think limiting, and yes, I think we exactly yes. It's very limiting, and I think we need to branch out to the other sounds. And so th this book presents some the blue scales, but also the 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 the, the, the modes. But one other part is has to do with rhythm. You know, I don't know if you're familiar with the Ching, the hexagrams, the Chinese hexagrams. <laughs> So much, not so much. No. Well, there, there are 64 hexagrams. There are long lines or two short lines, and each hexagram has six lines total. And a group in Brazil that it was really a crossover group, they made their own instruments, but they also had percussion, a cello, and a flute player. And they were in the same town, Belo Horizonte, where I taught. And the flute, the, the flutist from that group was my colleague at the university. And they played, oh my goodness, they played all kinds of music. They made all kinds of sounds. But they did something so amazing that they got the itching hexagrams and made those into rhythm, the hexagrams. Yeah, you should look up the, the Ixing hexagrams. And then the, the, the continuous line is, is one beat, and the, the divided line is like two beats. So it's got pa, 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 or pa, or pa, 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 or pa, 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 and all the different combinations of long and short. And this group used that rhythm as a base for a, a composition. So I wrote, since the six lines out, I wrote a series of exercises based on the Ixing rhythms with the, since, since the Ixing is, the hexagrams are six uh, and, the, and the blue scales has six notes. I use the blue scales to, 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 to go around in those different rhythms of the Ixing hexagrams. Mm -hmm. And then the last part of the book, uh, again, with this idea of diversity of sound, I, I got the Carnatic mode based on the, on the perfect fourth and wrote scale patterns based on Carnatic modes because it's very different sound, you know, and those are the things I'm talking about, the different diversity of sound mm -hmm. that we kind of liberate ourselves a little bit from the tonal idea. Yeah, wonderful. So, yeah, yeah. Because I was speaking to Sarah Schoenberg uh, in the interview before you. Uh -huh. She was also talking about a similar uh, train of thoughts and uh, learning from the jazz, uh, jazz and world music. Uh, yeah, traditions. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's very important that we branched out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was taking the I don't know the double uh, harmonic minor scale. 
and trying to warm up because I was listening to Hans Zimmer, right? And you know, and Hans uh-huh. Zimmer comes from a different direction. But uh, it's really very interesting, you know, how um, yeah, music is uh-huh. made, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. Sure, yeah. I think, I think the, the ideas are endless. I think we just need to get out of our little cocoon and 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 branch out. Uh, I I think you know um, the 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 that I, I may be a little controversial to say this, but the old fashion of training musicians to perform in symphony orchestras are becoming a little bit problematic. That it becomes you very narrow-minded and, you know, that you better play the measure of figure overture perfectly or else you'll never get a job. And and I think the idea of job has it has been changing. I think many people are may, having a life, a fulfilled, rich musical life and not playing in a symphony orchestra. I think, I think that's uh, important that people are becoming very creative and developing their own ideas in how they can become a successful and a ha- happy musician. But that, by saying this, brought me to like my own school, where here at the University of Iowa, we have a very fantastic program in music therapy, music education, where students come with a different sets of ideas what they want to do with music. And and we're not a conservatory, you know. So so the is very diverse population of what they want to do with music, including several double majors. You know, they are they are music majors and also major in engineering or pre-medicine. And and the music is so important to them, but it's not what they want to do as a profession. So the set of expectations that we as a teacher have to have are very different. We try to hold down, down the, the, uh, to a standard, but the standard nowadays is very different from student to student. So to, to make a, a program where everybody has to play exactly the same pieces throughout the four years of their undergraduate education, I think that today is not so ideal anymore you know uh i'm not training every musician to become a a professional musician and i have some extremely successful students that are not music is not their profession and i consider them successful because of the background where they came from and through music they went through through this education, you know, like the 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 life of the mind, help the, develop critical thinking, help the, develop creativity so, through music, through the bassoon, and not necessarily to go play in the Chicago Symphony, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I see. Yeah, I'm I'm very curious to to find out more about your studio. I know we we were talking previously before this interview, um, so. Could you describe uh, what is your teaching philosophy? How do you try to bring out the best in your student? Sure, I, I think that's a very important thing, and that adds to what you know a good segue from what I just said. That you know, uh, today I I ask the student first, what are your hopes? What are your desires and your goals and your and your dreams with the bassoon? And then based on their answer, we tailor a, a program 
that they're going to be happy. You know, some students are very happy learning in in different pace, and to, to with for them, for some of them, playing duets in the lesson are much more fulfilling than playing the Mozart bassoon concerto. And of course, we help them develop the skills to play the Mozart bassoon concerto if they so wanted, but it's not a requirement. That So that's my teaching philosophy has changed, especially in the past two years, three years, where I think the whole world is kind of thinking about those kind of things now. I think it's, it, it's imperative that we think outside of the box and in how we're going to help the individual fulfill their desires through music, mm -hmm. with music, mm -hmm. and, and, and develop soft skills by playing the bassoon. You know, that things that will help them be a great music therapist or help them be a good doctor, be a good, I have students, uh, one student that he double major in linguistics. So he, that's his job now. He lives in Spain and he works with that, you know, so, so, and he was a very fine bassoonist and he did play all the repertoire that we're talking, the standard person, but Okay, he didn't f continue on the bassoon in the life, but I consider him to be a very successful because the feedback I get from my former students is usually they thank me for helping them grow up, basically, and figure things out. In, and, and through music, you know, I, I love the word ludic that uh, a couple of years ago I learned because we use that word a lot in Brazil, ludico, being spontaneous. And then I discovered that ludic is an English word, but, but no, it's not used very much. But I think it's a word that means a lot to me, that how you can be spontaneous, how learning and teaching to being spontaneous and being ludic can help you fulfill your goals. Okay, wow, I've never thought about that. Yeah, because I feel um, there's a phrase, right? Uh, what is, uh, life is what happens to you, right? Or something that you make the best plans, but then life will just happen. Then you're like, oh, okay. Yes, right. <laughs> That's life, right? Yeah. So, um, well, of course, if you want to, 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 to be an orchestral musician or a university professor, we can have that as well. But I, I, I feel very comfortable in having a bassoon studio where not everybody wants to be a professional musician. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I, feel just as I feel just as fulfilled as a teacher working with those students than with the students that are going to become professional musicians. Okay. So let's just talk about the last few years, right? It has been difficult right with the pandemic so how did you uh keep your bassoon students motivated during these few years like how do you do it well uh, it's very complicated because you know uh, a lot of it it's from comes from the individual person you know comes from within you know uh it, what I think helped my students, and I, and I hope I did a good job about that, you have to ask them <laughs> if I was good or I was bad, uh, is really to listen, to, li to listen to them, 
not not have that rigidity as a teacher where you play out a tune. You know, it becomes so negative in music because we always want to get better, better, and better. But when the mood, when the world is topsy-turvy, when things are so, so, so difficult with the pandemic, with the racial and social tensions, with wars, with the political climate all over the world, how can, how can, can you live with that on a day-to-day basis when for over a year you're doing lessons via Zoom? You know, keeping them motivated. So uh, I think is is respecting each students where they are in their mental health and my mental health. You know, and helping the the self care. I think is very important. So a lot of the lessons we're talking about self care and where they are and what are they thinking. And some of them, you know, needs help outside. My, I don't have all the skills to help guide them, and but I would encourage them and help them find help outside to, to, to cope with these difficulties, you know. And I think that motivates them to, to, to music be a part where you're safe. Mm-hmm. Playing the bassoon is a place where you are with yourself and it's safe. It's okay if you can play the high E in the in this Sansan's bassoon sonata. It's fine. Don't worry. You know, don't make that your priority. Make it, there's so many beautiful other parts that you can play. So enjoy that. You know, and and one thing that we talk a lot about the diversity, equity, and inclusion. But here, uh, I'm happy to say that University of High School of Music. We added the word belonging to our statements of DEI. So I think the sense of belonging is what is most important at this moment. Because if you feel you have the same opportunities, so you have the same same opportunities as the others, but if just because this is what is happening now in the world is one thing. But to feel that you belong there, I think is a much, it's very enriching for the person to feel, I belong here, I'm wanted here. Mm-hmm. And through this, I can have a diversity, I can have equity and feel included. You know, I think the, the word belonging is the main word of the end of this acronym that you, you see all over the place nowadays. And I'm, I'm very, very impressed by the United States being a leader in the world by talking about these things and being concerned with the, these important questions in, in society. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I noticed that there is a really marked difference since last year or 2020 uh, that there is a, there's, I would say, like a, a movement. No, correct me if I'm wrong to try to write the inequalities I can see uh, in the different grants and um, calls. Yeah, yeah, in competitions, yeah. programming, I, I, and I think it's about time, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, you know, unfortunately, the, the new world or the whole world has a very, very sad story with, you know, the enslaved people 
with the the natives, with the indigenous people of everywhere. Yes. You know, the indigenous people of Australia, the indigenous people of the United States, the indigenous people of Brazil, the indigenous people from all around the world, they were massacred, you know, for hundreds of years. And I think it feels to me that now we are making a little bit of progress. And just in me accepting that I have been blind to this, you know, I, 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 I never thought me of a racist person, but the thing is that I, I don't think I'm a racist, but I, I have been racist because of all the systemic, systemic issues that we, I grew up with. You know, I, as an immigrant, is a different story for me. You know, I, I'm white, but in this country, in the United States, I'm white until I open my mouth. Yeah. And they and then I start talking and I'm no longer the same white person because I have an accent and I have a different culture. My culture is to always be smiling and to and to hug people and to embrace touch people. That's my culture, that's me. And here I cannot be that. And when I open my mouth, I I am no longer as white as was. But I still have a lot more privilege than other peoples of color. And, 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 and just the fact that there's a lot more discussions about this, I think is a big improvement. And then you see all the fights, all the, the tensions between all of this, that maybe we're going too fast or we're going too slow. So see, for some people are going too slow, for some people are going too fast. And, and so, but at least we're going somewhere. And I think the, this needs to be very clear that it can't stop to move forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, because the other day after a project, I was sitting with some um, um, composers and they were also talking about this, that uh, yeah, there's a lot more opportunities but there's also, I feel, a lot of opposition from the more traditional um, managers from the orchestra to say that orchestras and politics should not be mixed up, right? Yeah. Sure. I, yeah, orchestra and politics should not be mixed, but I, we're talking about not politics. We're talking about human beings, yeah. people that we're all the same. You know, we're all the same. We're all made the same way, and we all should have the same opportunities. Yeah, because we all have desires and, and wantings. And when you have to fight so much obstruction to succeed, it's very, very difficult because it's so, many times it's easier to give up. Yeah, it's very tiring, I think. <laughs> it's very tiring. Very tiring. Very tiring, yeah. No. So, so, go ahead. So, yeah, do, do you feel uh, a bit more optimistic that things are changing for the better than... I, well, it's a very interesting question because I feel optimistic because I think all the badness, all the discussions, all the fightings and all the wars that's happening is part of the process. So, and I think if the process ends up going, continue going in a good direction, then it's worth the struggles we're going through right now.
So I'm very optimistic that it can go, but but if we get, you know, that the, the movement, if we if we can call that, gets crushed, then it will be a lot worse. So then, but I can't see that happening, and I. Uh, because I know the changes I have gone through just by becoming more aware of my privilege. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's see. Wow, <laughs> that's really, it's really something to 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 uh, reflect on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So looking back in, yeah, I mean, you you have such a multifaceted career. You are orchestral musician. I mean, you're a soloist, chamber musician, and you're also a recording artist, right? Um, what do you think is still a challenge for you, or yeah, musically or artistically? Well, I think everything is a challenge for me. <laughs> uh, yeah. I I humbly accept where I am, and I humbly accept that that I need to keep working every day to be better. And 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 you know I. I think, like most people, you have the you know the uh, was that the the syndrome that uh, what is that called the that I don't feel like people I feel like I'm false I feel like I'm I'm, I'm fooling everybody ah, imposter and, syndrome <laughs> exactly the imposter syndrome yeah. I very much have that oh. I very much have that and and but that helps me stay very humble. And and then you know you mentioned my recording projects. If you see most of my recording projects, or me trying to bring in what the recording for me is not about my ego. It's not about me having a recording. It was always about what am I contributing to the musical world, to the bassoon world. And if you look at almost all of my CD recordings, there are pieces that never have been recorded. And pieces by composers from all over the world, and many pieces that are written for me. Uh, You know, like one of my colleagues here made a joke saying, oh, you only record pieces that nobody knows, so nobody knows how bad you are. No! (laughs) (laughs) He's taking the... (laughs) Exactly, you, you know, you, you said, well, maybe you're right, but I, I don't think I can, I'm bringing a, lo- a lot of contribution to the bassoon world by recording the Mozart Bassoon Concerto. I think there's so many other recordings and musicians that are so phenomenal and they, sh- they should be recording. They recorded the Mozart Bassoon Concerto. I don't need to do that. I, I recorded, like, one of my recordings that I'm most proud of is the recording I did for Solo Bassoon Choir. Agnus Day? Agnus Day, yes, my oh, Agnus yes. Day recording. I'm very proud of their recording, not only because of the, such beautiful music, but also the, the, how some of these pieces came to life. Three of the pieces were, were basically written for me. Two were written for me. One was revised and dedicated for me. So, so I collaborate with composers, and that's what's very important. To collaborate with people is what's important. And I, I, we all have egos. But for me, I feel more fulfilled when I share 
my successes with others uh, is, is, is part of me that I, I, that's important to me. So, so th that's what my recording. Another recording that was very unique is the, the Pas de Trois recording, which is music for bassoon, saxophone, and piano. An entire CD dedicated to, to these pieces, to this combination of instruments. You know, the only CD that I recorded that was more about my ego, my say, I want to do this, is the recording where I recorded the, the Brahms clarinet sonata, Schumann romances, and Beethoven cello sonata. Uh, so those are pieces that I wanted to record. Of course, they were not original for bassoon, so that's a unique in itself, but everybody does that. But the, the idea of the recording came because I wanted to play those very beautiful music that we as bassoonists don't get to play them uh, unless, unless we are playing in an orchestra. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. My, my favorite is Agnus Day because it's so beautiful. It's just a bassoon by itself in the beginning, right? Yes. And so profound, you know, it's, it's like, um, how do you say, it's like, it's alone, but not quite alone somehow. Correct. It's kind of, it's very much like a prayer. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. you're playing, you're praying, you're looking yeah. for something, you, you, you're calling, you're calling, you're calling the yeah. choir to come in and join yeah. you. And then when the choir comes in, it's just so beautiful. Yeah, actually, bassoon and uh, and voices uh, is actually very beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> Are there any more albums coming out? <laughs> well, I I have many ideas about recordings. Although I I'm I, I I struggle with the idea of recording a CD nowadays because what is our people don't have CD players. So what is the next thing that we need to do? Uh, and I think the next project I'll have, I think it's going to have to be some kind of a video thing. But I, what I'm planning to do is, you know, um, I'm very much interested in uh, the, the relationship between music and literature. Mm. And, and, a project that I'm elaborating with my colleague from the ethnomusicologist, from my colleague and friend here at the University of Iowa, is that I'm selecting a pieces written for solo bassoon by women composers and by BIPOC composers, people of color composers, and but bringing some kind of literature, a text, poems to be acted, talked about, improvised during the performance. You know, so that's, I think, is my next project. And I have some other very kind of off-the-wall projects that includes 3D printing and stuff like that. But that I, I, I need to, to wait a little bit to see where it, that goes. And I don't want to talk too much about and that because all your secrets. <laughs> reveal my secrets. <laughs> yeah, I mean like the, the trend is to release an NFT and like Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and only do singles, right? We can't release albums anymore, I've been told. It doesn't make oh, any money. <laughs> right. Yeah, well my my record is none of them makes money. You know, yeah. it's 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 I really did the recordings for, for several reasons, but for 
the main reason is like, what can I contribute to the music world? And I'm, I must say that I, that, you know, as we say in Brazil, modest apart, I tap myself on the back because I'm not, I'm not being modest, uh, that I get almost weekly emails from all over the world, people inquiring about the pieces I played and how they can get them. And uh, so, so that means my idea of contributing is being successful. Mm-hmm. So being an ambassador or champion for, for these compositions, yeah. Compositions, you know, I, I, I love new music, but I'm not a, a new music specialist. But it just happens that, you know, the, the non-traditional repertoire needs to be exposed and put out there. And, and, and I think I, I'll continue doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also like the album Dreaming in Colors, right? Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, that, that piece, by, uh, it's a great piece by, um, I, can't pro- I can't remember her name now, Kwang, the uh, Korean composer. Uh, as you know, I'm very, very bad at remembering names and, and things. And uh, so the idea of the, the album was about how the color of the bassoon, you know, the bassoon sound as a color instrument. And then I chose a repertoire that I think it reflects those different colors very, very beautifully. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, just uh, looking up the, the album now. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just looking back, uh, who do you think have been the major influences in your career? Well, uh, you know, I have so many people, you know, I, it, when you ask these questions, you know, it reminds me, I don't know if you're familiar with Mr. Rogers, you know, it was a, uh, an American personality that had a kid's show, you know, and, and he's monumental for kids in, 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 in this very special educational shows for kids. Mr. Rogers, when he received a lifetime award for all the work he has done, when he his acceptance speech, he started by saying, thank you very much for this. I, I very much appreciate blah, 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 all of that, right? But then he said, but one thing that we must remember that whatever we are, we never got there alone. So then in his Mr. Rogers ways, he said, let's take 10 seconds and remember all the people that helped you get where you are. So I think there's many people that are influences on me, both musically and personally. And and of course, my family, my wife are the, the main main influences in my life uh you know but then i mentioned noel devoe you know when i was a young bassoonist in brazil we ha- were able to get one lp album of klaus tuneman playing the vivaldi concerti so those are iconic times you know of uh, of that made such big impressions but i must say that there are such a collection of people 
even my theory teachers, my music history teachers, we, we tend to forget, we say my students, and I'm trying to get out of my vocabulary the word my, is our students. Our student that plays the bassoon got this job. So it's, I think it's, I try to take the approach more, more of a collective kind of, of the influences in my life. There, there's many, there's many people that inspire me at different times of my life that I, I don't think I have one single person with just a couple people, you know. Um, right now, my wife and daughters are the, the biggest thing in my life. So that they are my motivation and big supporters. Mm-hmm. So th- there is a lot of a lot of people to, to, to talk here. You know, I feel like in the Oscars, you know, if I start talking all the names, the musical come in to say I have to get out of the stage. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> Coming on, um, maybe we, we can come to the last two questions. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah. So one uh, more fun question is, what do you like to do in your free time when you have uh, time off? I, you know, I love listening to birds. You know, I have here now it's springtime, summertime in my Porsche, uh, in my neighborhood, which is pretty new neighborhood, but we planted five, six trees in our small backyard. We have so many trees, but we, you know, some of my neighbors have no trees, but I have so many. But what we get, we get so many birds. And I love listening to them, you know, but I'm not the type of person that needs to, oh, that's a cardinal, oh, that's so-and-so. I, I'm not a bird watcher. I, I listen to the birds as like a sounds of my day, you know, and, and that's what I love doing in the spring, in the summer. You know, it's going to sound weird to most people, but one my hobby is to make reads. I love making reads. I love, I love experimenting with reads. And it has nothing to do with the bassoon. It has to do most of the fact of building something. You know, I, I was either going to become a musician or join the Navy or because this idea of going out on a boat, on a ship, out to see it was very appealing to me or a, a mechanical engineer i went to a mechanical high school because i wanted to work with machines and develop things and and so making reads or fixing things are something that i really love to do it so so if i'm not careful spending the whole day thinking about machines read machines and cane doing experimenting with the different shapers, different density of cane, different hardens of cane. So it really excites me the idea that you can make a bassoon reed that is so different from one another and still gives what you need at that moment. So I... I, I, I need to visit your, your read room one day. Oh, please come. Come right here. <laughs> we can spend days here we're <laughs> looking at it. Boot camp. <laughs> boot camp, that's right. Boot camp, read boot camp. Okay. Sign me up. Yeah. <laughs> right, sure.
Speaking uh, about birds, do you know that in the airport of uh, Helsinki, in the toilets, they only play the sound of birds? Ah, really? Yeah. Wow, that's nice. Yeah, yeah. You feel like you're out in nature and there's also some quiet room so you can just sit and be quiet. In the okay, yeah. nice. Yeah. yeah. No, I love the sound of birds. It's, it's, you know, I have several hummingbirds around and it's, it, I'm so mesmerized by hummingbirds, how they can move. Really like, you know, like we talk about, you know, the uh, UFOs, you know, the flying objects that can do those kind of things, but the hummingbird does all of that. You know, they can move and they can be so fast and stop in an instant and be floating in the air. To me, that's fascinating how they they can do those things. Do you know there's a composition actually for clarinet, but with the um, with the um, tape of uh, a bird? It's called jackdaw. Have you heard of it? I have not. No. Yeah, I think it's possible to do it with bassoon, but then it's oh, nice because you can't stop at all with the tape going. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so come to my uh, final question. Um, you can choose. <laughs> uh, do you have some words of advice for young people or what were some of your biggest lessons that you have learned? Yeah. Well, I, for young people, it's like pursue your dreams. Go fight for them. Go after them. If you're playing the bassoon, is your dream. Do everything you can to fulfill that. And the thing you can, you don't need to do it alone. You know, nowadays, if you have some kind of internet access, you can write, you know, to bassoon groups, to music groups, and say, I want to play the bassoon, please help me. And some people will come to help you. So, so pursue your dreams, especially when you're young. You know, uh, a lot of times when new students come, the, the parents come together for the audition. And you can see that the parents are very scared that this, their daughter and son are, are looking to become a musician. And because what is the future that they can bring? And they, one of the, the things that I tell them that I think is valid, they said, don't worry. Everything is going to work out. Let your kid pursue their dream. And if it, playing the bassoon, being a musician, is that, let them do now. Nothing doesn't matter. In, in, in four years, in two years, in 20 years, in 50 years, they can still change. I have, in my family, there's people that were mechanical engineers that graduate from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. They were living in San Francisco in the Silicon Valley making lots of money. At age 40, he decided, I don't like this anymore. I want to be a medical doctor. And at age 40, he enrolled in the medical school and he became a doctor by age 48. Wow. Yeah, so... There you go, somebody that, you know, the idea that giving up a job that gives you so much money to go to something so different and very risky at that age, he took that. So to me, that's a lesson. 
that you can change directions at any time in your life. Wow. And and if you if you have that dream, you have that desire, people will be supportive of you. Amazing. This is your relative, right? Yes, I have two. Actually, my brother-in-law was also in technology, and at age 40, he enrolled in, 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 into the nursing school, and he's a transplant nurse now. Didn't he face massive opposition, like when he was applying to the schools? No, he actually, he, he felt very, you know, uh, very happy that he could do this, and he, he worked that out with his family, you know, because their income was going to be reduced. But, I mean, but like, friends for, and like, did they laugh at him or something? Or? No, I th I think in the family everybody was very very supportive because he, he didn't do that out of the blue. He had a he decided on a plan because he had two kids. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't when you have others, you have to consider them. Yeah, yeah. But but if you do with planning and 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 desire, you figure out. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's quite inspiring. Wow, wow, wow. I find it that very, very inspiring. Yes. Very inspiring, yes. It's truly here. Yeah. Okay, one, one, one final question. Sure. Who do you think I should interview next? Ah, oh, no, I can't say. <laughs> no, no, no. There's so many people, you know. I think, I don't know uh, who you have interviewed in your show, uh, in your podcast, but... Have you interviewed anybody that is an amateur bassoonist? Not yet. Yeah, so maybe you can diversify your podcast by having somebody that is a medical doctor or it is a, a person that works uh, as a, a handyman who also plays the bassoon. Oh, okay. I was, I was thinking to in, uh, invite uh, someone who is also a boxer and plays the bassoon. Right, fantastic, you should, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you want to see their perspective because if that's not their profession, yeah. they play because they just love doing it. Yeah, and yeah. and, and that, so that, because of that, I have to tell one story. Okay. Uh, several years ago, I was invited to play a concerto with uh, a community orchestra here in Iowa City. It was the Iowa City Community String Orchestra made up of, it's an intergenerational orchestra with high school kids, with 70, 80-year-old musicians. They're all, all age group. Not, I, I don't believe any of them were professional musicians. And they, but they wanted to do so much. And, you know, they didn't play perfectly in tune. They had technical problems, but I felt that they wanted to do so much because it's music that it moved me so, so much that it, it made me very, very emotional when I thanked them for reminding me why I play music, why I play the bassoon. Because when you become professional, becomes this thing about the profession and the perfection and how good you have to sound. And I lost, but nobody starts learning a music instrument based on that. 
they start learning because they're attracted to the sound and how beautiful it is. And they, as you become professional, many times we miss that love, that initial love, why we play the instrument. So don't be just play the bassoon because you make money with it. Play the bassoon because you want to still play the bassoon. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. When you ask people to come for a project, they will say, oh, okay, how much and when? <laughs> You're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just stop playing chamber music? <laughs> well, but I understand also, you know, people need, you know, the, to fulfill the very basic of the pyramid, which yeah. is put the put food on their belly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. so okay. It's, yeah. But it's the attitude. I'm talking more about the attitude. It's not to go there, play your notes, play in tune, play in the right rhythm, and collect the check. You know, all of the collecting the check is just like, what is that called? The, uh, it's, a, it's a consequence of that. It's not the primary goal to get the check. Of course, when you get the job, get the gig, you, yes, you know there is extra amount of money you're getting. But when you're doing the job, do it for the love of music, not for the paycheck you're going to get after. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Got it. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, here's to uh, diversity. I will try to diversify the choices. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So, so I hope you have a wonderful uh, evening. I know it's late now over there. Yeah. Well, it's not so late, but it's like almost 10 o'clock p.m. and I know it's morning for you. <laughs> yeah, I know it's, the sun is really come out, right? <laughs> Joanne, I, I thank you so, so much for inviting me to talk with you. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it so much. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been wonderful. Thank you for your time, yeah, for your advice, yeah, encouragement. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And if you have enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe, or share with your friends. That would mean the world to us. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>